We continue our series in the book of Romans. We're in the book, uh, uh, chapter 14 of the book of Romans. This morning I'm going to concentrate on verses 16 through 18. I think everybody should read these verses every morning when they get up. So if you would stand with me for the reading of the word. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Messiah in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let us say together, Amen. Please be seated. Therefore, I know this is redundant, but what question do you have to ask yourself when you see the word therefore? Why am I there? What am I there for? So I want to remind you of some things that we've talked about in the past. And if you have your Bibles open or your smartphone app open, please follow along with me. Verse 1, we're reminded to receive one who is weak in the faith. We define weak in the faith as someone who did not have full knowledge and understanding of the biblical liberty that we have in Messiah. And I think we also talked about the fact that the one who is weak in the faith is also the one who can't be okay unless you believe what they believe. We're to remember that we're to receive ones who are weak in the faith. Verse 3, we are not to despise the weaker in the faith nor judge the stronger in the faith. You're not to look down with your nose upon either one. Why? Because they are both children of God. Verse 4, we need to remember not to judge one another. That's not our job, especially in things that are called doubtful disputations. We have one judge, and that's the Lord our God. And if you think of it, judgment is almost like warfare. We do battles in our minds as we judge other people in order to make them think and make ourselves think that we're better than they are. I love music from the 70s. Anybody else? Okay, (laughs) we'll pass out the canes after the service. And one of my favorite groups from the past was Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Notice I didn't say Ann Young. And I've got on my um, iPhone a whole bunch of songs, and sometimes I get so sick of listening to the radio that I just put on my phone, and I put on shuffle, and it just goes through all the songs. And this morning, this verse came from one of the songs from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I can tell by your coat you're from the other side. Just one thing I've got to know. Can you tell me, please, who won? Who wins when we judge one another? Who wins when we fight with one another? Scripture is very clear. Judgmentalism is not part of the life of a believer in Messiah. Verse 12, 
we will all give an account to God. Believer and non-believer. I'm not going to go into a teaching on it this morning, but there are both levels in heaven and levels in hell. We are storing up rewards or storing up judgments, and we'll be accountable for everything we ever did or said. Verse 13, we are told not to put a stumbling block in our brother's path. I've told this story before of my coming to faith. Some of you have heard it. Some of you have not. I came to faith, as you saw, if you were here earlier this morning, we played another video. I came to faith in the back row of the sanctuary where we're going to be meeting when we close on that building. It was a a very emotional time for me. Uh, It was a time of crying that welled up from places in my body I didn't know had tear ducts in them. And I started to go to a Bible study at the congregation the very next week. And a well-meaning but weaker brother was at the Bible study. And at the end of the study, he said, I heard you accepted the Lord. I said, yeah, I did. He said, did you say the prayer? I said, did I what? Did you say the prayer? And as he said it, you could see the little thing come out of his mouth, you know, with the big round bubble. And the words, the prayer, were there, bold-faced, italic, underlined with quotations. Have you said the prayer? I said, no, I didn't say the prayer. And he goes, okay, we have to take care of it. He literally took my hand, dragged me down on my knees, and made me repeat after him, the prayer. That's a stumbling block. Do you know how much of a stumbling block it was? I came home that night, and I told Tina, so much for this. Praise God for Scott Brown, who was at the Bible study and called me up right after I told Tina, I've had enough of this. And his first words were, I am so sorry. He says, that was so uncalled for. There is no prayer. Don't put a stumbling block in the way of your brother. There's a story told of a church right across the street from a large urban campus. First whatever church of whatever city. And everybody in there are diehard old Baptists. And they always come to church in nice clothes and ties. By the way, do you like my tie this morning? (laughs) I found it hanging today. I don't know where it came from. Tina probably picked it up in a consignment store somewhere. And all of a sudden, one of the students from the college walked in the front door wearing torn jeans, a Grateful Dead t-shirt, hair down to here, and sandals that looked like they were worn out five years ago. He walked down the aisle, and he sat on the floor right in between the two front pews. Look at him. All the people were saying, and finally they went up to one of the deacons and said, can you please take care of that? And the deacon walked down the aisle, and everybody's waiting. And he sat down next to him on the floor and said hi. Who are we to judge? 
Why do we put stumbling blocks in front of each other? How many of you, when you say the Shema, do this? How many of you, when you say the Shema, don't do that? How many of you really care if you do or you don't? Because each one does it because in their heart they believe it's what they want to do. Who are we to judge another? How many of us have talked to someone from a main denomination who said they were baptized as a child and water sprinkled on them and the first thought in our mind is judgment? Well, that's not baptism. Why do we do that? Why do we put stumbling blocks in front of other people? Instead of saying, you're not really baptized, why don't we say, would you like to be baptized as an adult? That's what happened to me when I really understood what baptism was all about. Why do we judge? And you know what the real reason is? And I hate to say it because I was a major contributor. We do it to make ourselves feel better. We do it to make ourselves look better. We do it to believe that we're more holy, more righteous, because we do it the right way and you do it the wrong way. And oh, by the way, if you don't do it the way we do it, we can't be friends. Well, I hope there's no spirit of that kind of judgmentalism at 19100 Muncaster Road when we move into our new building. It will not be allowed not from the foyer, not from the pulpit, not in the classrooms, not in the oneg room. We need to live the life of Messiah and to live it properly. Verse 14, we're reminded that things are not unclean in and of themselves. Let me put a parenthesis behind that. Unless the Bible declares them unclean. And then there's even debate as to whether Gentile believers need to follow the laws of kosher. To which I say, let them decide in their own hearts, but I'm not going to judge them to put a stumbling block in their way. I once asked a friend, if you were witnessing to a Jewish non-believer, and you'd been witnessing for three or four months, and you got to the point where he, he or she trusted you enough to invite you into their house, Please come have a meal with me. I want you to meet my spouse. I want you to meet my children, whatever it is. And on the table, is a ham and cheese sandwich. You think that's bad? It's on white bread with mayonnaise. I mean, (laughs) would you eat it? Here's my answer. I don't know but I certainly wouldn't say, I don't eat that stuff. I certainly wouldn't say, I thought you were Jewish. What are you doing eating ham? I might say something like, would you mind if I didn't eat uh, the sandwich uh, only because my personal convictions are that I want to follow the laws of of kosher? Please understand I'm making no judgment upon you, but I'm just going to help myself to the salad. See, there's a, a spirit of explaining in a loving way versus explaining in a judgmental way. And finally, verse 15. Don't destroy your brother for the sake of what you believe in practice. There have been people who have been 
pushed out of this congregation for exactly that same reason. Members of the congregation who have come up to them and criticized them for their dress, for their beliefs, for their practices. And in one case, this was someone who was here for the first time, never crossed the threshold of our entrance again. Therefore, now you know why we're there for. Don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Now, why does God call it good? Because we read earlier in Scripture that the weaker one in the faith does not eat meat because he believes that that is his way or her way of expressing love to the Lord. Indeed, the stronger in the faith eats meat because he or she also does this out of a conscience that wants to do right in the presence of the Lord. But don't let what you feel to be good spoken of as be spoken of as evil because you've made it a stumbling block instead of a stepping stone to fellowship. Amen? Amen. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's a room with five people in it, and they're asked, please define the kingdom of God, and how many answers do they give? Seven. Right? Because we talk about the kingdom of God, but I wonder if we really know what the kingdom of God is. Well, I've got five points that I believe have to be present for the kingdom to be present. Number one, there has to be a king. Pretty simple. Not exactly rocket science. A kingdom needs a king. Number two, a kingdom needs rule. There is no kingdom that is anarchy. Other than that, the kingdom falls apart. It needs rule. And our king's rule comes from two things. Number one, redemption. And number two, governance. Redemption and governance. The rules of the kingdom apply to those who are in the kingdom. And you cannot be in the kingdom of God unless you've been redeemed. And the rules of the kingdom govern the actions of those in the kingdom. That's what the Ten Commandments and the Torah and the repetition of the Torah in Deuteronomy is all about. Number three, a kingdom needs people. Just like a follower, a a leader needs followers, a kingdom needs people. Number four, a kingdom has laws and statutes that express the will of the king. Laws and statutes that express the will of the king. And finally, a kingdom needs land. Biblically, it was the land of Israel. Biblically, again, one day, again, it will be the land of Israel. However, through Messiah, the entire world has been invited to be part of that kingdom, even though they are not stepping foot on the very land. Because we are told in the scriptures that when the Messiah comes during the thousand-year millennial reign, representatives from every nation will come to Israel on the Feast of Tabernacles to give honor and glory to the Lord. A king, a ruler, a people, laws, and a land. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And it's not about what you eat and what you drink. 
It's about whose you are and whether you're following his directions or not. So if it's not food or drink, what is it? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And everybody knows exactly what that is, right? (laughs) No. I'm going to go backwards. I'm not going to do righteousness first, peace second, and joy third. I'm going to work backwards. After all, Hebrews written from right to left. Joy. Do you know that the word joy appears in the Hebrew scriptures 25 times? No, I'm sorry, that there are 25 different words in the Hebrew scriptures that express the concept of joy. There are 10 different words in the Greek scriptures that express the concept of joy. And there are over 150 references to joy in the scriptures. But in all these references, and I read every one of them, No, I didn't really read every one of them. I just thought I'd impress you this morning. In all of these, two main themes come out. Here's the first thing. Gladness in the Lord. That's an inward joy. And here's the second theme. Rejoicing. That's an outward joy. And so you see, joy comes from within. It's expressed without And it's not determined by circumstance. It's not determined by circumstance. I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning. See, even in my message, we're remembering. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. It's a reference to Messiah. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Yeshua HaMashiach. And these things we write to you that your joy may be be full. Joy comes from an understanding of who we are, whose we are, what price was paid for our freedom and for our redemption, and the fact that our joy is ultimately in him and in his Son. Amen? And what about peace? The understanding of peace, especially in the Greek scriptures, is an understanding or a concept that things are tied together as a whole. In other words, everything works the way it's supposed to be working, right? Like, Vicky Van Duel now has peace because the air conditioning works in the sanctuary like it's supposed to be working, (laughs) right? I mean, I was told by my wife to give practical examples. That's the first thing I thought of. There's also a peace that comes through the wholeness of the body, spirit, and soul working together as they should be working. And it has little, if anything, to do with our circumstances. Little, if anything, to do with our circumstances. 
We have peace because we are the sons of peace. We have peace because we've been given his peace. Isaiah 26.3 says it this way. You will keep him in in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'm so glad Dana came up. This was not part of my sermon. It's like an addition. I hope it's okay. I'm so glad he came up this morning. If, I, if I'm characterizing you incorrectly, you can come right up and, and correct me. Dana's peace before Chris's accident was mostly because he could always handle everything that came his way. After Chris's accident... His peace came from the fact that he knew God could handle what he couldn't. Amen? Amen. And we need to be the same. We need to understand that this, under, this idea of us being in control is worldly and not godly. He's in control. And our peace comes from the fact that our mind, body, and spirit are working the way God has designed it to work because he created us in his image. And his peace, if we've come to terms with our own sinfulness, his peace is now on us, which brings us to righteousness. Righteousness. I could spend an hour talking about righteousness. I won't. But I want you to remember this concept. And if you take notes, I want you to write this down or put it in your phone or whatever you do. We mistakenly define righteousness in moral terms instead of understanding righteousness in covenantal terms. Let me repeat that, and then I'll explain it. We mistakenly define righteousness in moral terms. In other words, to be good, to be holy instead of understanding righteousness in covenantal terms. In other words, to be part of the righteous family. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this. He, God, made him, Yeshua, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we, the body of Messiah, might become the righteousness of God in him. Was there anything that we did in that verse that earned us righteousness? Was there anything that we did in that verse that helped God give us righteousness? No, Righteousness is bestowed when we become members of the family of God. And the righteousness that we have been given is the very righteousness of God. We all know Romans 1.16, don't we? Salvation is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Somehow we forget the next verse, Romans 1.17, where it says, The righteousness of God is revealed in the good news. 
Well, I have news for you. Morality is not revealed in the good news. You know what's revealed in the good news? Everything about, it, about God and his love for mankind. Everything about God and his love for mankind. If you do a study, I, as a matter of fact, I visit with Alan Rausnitz on Thursdays in the afternoon. Sometimes we have a Bible study. Sometimes we just sit and, and talk. And sometimes we make up our minds whether the Washington Nationals are going to make it to the World Series or not. But this past week, we actually did a study on righteousness together. Righteousness is mentioned all through the Hebrew Scriptures. And if you just look in the books of Isaiah, the Psalms, and Jeremiah, every time you see the word righteousness of God or mentioning the righteousness of God, it's never alone. It's always paired with another one of God's definitions or God's attributes. Let me, let me just give you some examples Psalm 56, his righteousness is paired with his judgment. Psalm 111, verse 3, his righteousness is compared with his honor and his glory. I got too many. I'm just going to pick a couple. Isaiah 28, 17, his righteousness is compared with equity and justice. Isaiah 59, 17, his righteousness is compared with salvation. And let me just read this one passage to you. If you want to know about the righteousness of God, I'm in Isaiah 59, verses 14. I thought I was in Isaiah 59. Here we go. Verses 14 to 17. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. Justice and righteousness. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Truth and what is right. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. His own arm, it's a reference to Messiah. Salvation are also equated with righteousness. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Righteousness is not something we do. Righteousness is something we're given. Membership into the family of God. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for he who serves Messiah in these things is one, acceptable to God, and two, approved by men. That which God wills and recognizes is that we understand what righteousness is and what righteousness isn't. We understand what kingdom life is and what kingdom life isn't. And we understand that judgmentalism has no part in either. Amen? And then finally, it's approved by men. Why does it have to be approved by men? Well, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And the end of Acts chapter 2. Everybody loves to read the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Everybody wants to be in Acts chapter 2 church. Everybody wants to speak in tongues. Everybody wants to 
and the list goes on. But I want you to follow along with me. I'm reading from in verse 47. Actually, I'm going to start in 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Do you think that one accord included judgmentalism? No. So they were approved by their fellow believers. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Would you say that that is an expression of joy and peace? I would too. Praising God, that's the outward expression, and having favor with all the people. It doesn't say having favor with all the rest of the believers. Having favor with, say it with me, all the people. What does that mean? It means that kingdom life should be favorable to those who don't have it yet. Kingdom life should be a shining light to those who still live in the darkness. And oh, by the way, kingdom life does not have to be lived out as a vocation. What? I had a dear friend named John. I won't tell you his last name. Otherwise, you'll look him up and see where he lives now. He was a heating and air conditioning contractor, independent contractor. Only his heating and air conditioning work was like artwork. I I can't explain it any other way. He took existing systems and he said, this is wrong. This is not efficient. This is bending the wrong way. He tear it apart and put it together like a Leonardo da Vinci of HVAC. And he did this for everybody. It didn't matter if it was a big system costing twenty dollars to $30,000 or a small system like in our house that only took about two dollars or $3,000 to redo. And one day he came to me, he says, I've had enough of not doing God's work. I went, what? He says, yeah, I need to go out and, and start doing God's work. I said to him, what do you think you've been doing for the last 10 years? God's work. He goes, what do you mean? I said, everywhere you go, do people respect your work? Yeah. Do you tell them about your faith? Yeah. You're doing God's work. If you're working in a government office in Washington, D.C. and Rockville, besides the fact that I'll pray for you, (laughs) if you're doing it unto the Lord, you're doing God's work, and you are being accepted by men. If, if you drive a bus and you do it with courtesy, you're doing God's work because you're living in righteousness, peace, and joy. We ought to remember these verses every morning we wake up. And I apologize for going longer than I normally go, but I thought this message was important enough to justify the length. Our attitude exposes our heart, and our heart is driven by motive. And if our motive is self-preservation as opposed to loving your brother or sister as you would love yourself, then maybe you have a little talking to do with God before his day is over. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. We give you praise, glory, honor, adoration, and a whole bunch of other words that have a lot of syllables that I can't even think of right now. For one reason and one reason only, you're do-it-all. Because your kingdom is the heavenly kingdom. 
And where you are, the kingdom is. And through your son, through the good news, through his death and burial and resurrection, we can be part of that kingdom and be given your righteousness. We can become the very righteousness of God and live in joy and peace and a powerful witness. And so I pray for myself and everybody here that we never think of ourselves too highly that we put a stumbling block in the path of someone else, Jew or Gentile, believer or not believer. Just as we are to write your law upon our hearts, let us let your love absolutely infect our hearts so that we can be more and more brought forth to the image of your Son in love and peace and joy and righteousness. And I pray this in his name. Amen.